Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, R. You got it? You got it. That's why I didn't take the three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Rashad, composer, barber, eater. My heart is like racing. Goodness. Will you guys join me in the third step prayer? God, God I offer myself to thee. To go with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Believe me at the bottom of yourself, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, and victory over them, and may bear witness to those I have. I feel better now. Thank you guys. So yeah, definitely a compulsive overeater. Welcome if you're new, if you feel new. Congratulations on six months. It's a big deal. Happy birthday. I appreciate you being around and being an inspiration. Yeah, I'm definitely a compulsive overeater, sugar addict. I'm a grazer variety. My binge foods are like pizza and sugar and soda and like salty snacky things. I'm celebrating two years of abstinence today, two years of freedom from uh, those compulsive food behaviors. The program, I've given back 80 pounds because of the program so far. So that's a big deal. Yeah, I didn't say much on my birthday because I didn't want to double share. Thank you, Jen, for asking me to speak, by the way. Appreciate it. It's an honor to be of service here at this meeting. Man, I'm just so grateful to God for my for my birthday and um, my sponsor Jeffrey S, who cannot be here today, but definitely takes care of me and, and is a an incredible guide um, through the steps. Sheila J, who's my Eskimo for this program, um, my lovely girlfriend V, and Deanna, who's like a like a big sister for me in this program, and uh, she has what I want in this program so and and all the fellows all the fellows that take my calls and and call me truth be told I'm still learning how to connect with people so I apologize if I don't like reach out as much as you reach out to me I'm still a work in progress what it was like I was born a compulsive overeater <laughs> my mom tells a story about me during the breastfeeding phase. <laughs> Apparently, I was pretty aggressive during the breastfeeding phase. And uh, it was a spectacle, and um, people would come by and watch the spectacle. Uh, and apparently, it was messy. And yeah, so I'm pretty sure I was born a, a compulsive overeater. I definitely like struggled with childhood obesity. 
I felt abandoned as a kid. I learned pretty quickly to not get too close to people because inevitably they would go away. I moved around a lot. I switched schools a lot. Uh, my mom and uh, dad divorced. I'm using the name R, by the way, so I can be really vulnerable and, and open without hurting anybody. My name is spelled uniquely. So, but yeah, my mom and dad divorced when I, she was pregnant with me. Yeah, you can imagine that's like a, a pretty bumpy process. My dad was dealing with his own issues and didn't really come back into my life until around uh, eight or nine years old. Um, but yeah, I just always had this feeling of like being abandoned somewhat. My mom was a travel agent at the time, and so she would drop me off at my, my sweet grandmother's house. My grandmother was awesome. She showed, uh, I loved going to grandma's. I lived in Westchester at the time. Grandma lives in South Central LA. That's where my family's from. Um, but I loved going to grandma's because grandma likes to show her love with food. And, uh, Grandma used to make me banana nut pancakes and um, cream of wheat. That was very sweet and cinnamon. Grandma worked, though. And uh, so I had a great-grandmother, a, a sweet great-grandmother, who also used to uh, show her love with food. Um, but I didn't like her food that much. She was blind, and she used to sit in a room, and uh, she would give me these, like, stale Ritz crackers and, like, these Vienna sausages and stuff like that. And, like, Luna Dune cookies. I did like those, but stale or not. But I also spent a lot of time alone at Grandma's house, and I found a lot of comfort in food during that time. And I would raid the house for, for coins and, and dollars, and I would go off to the liquor store down in the corner and buy the, the sugary snacks. Um, I loved the McDonald's when I was a kid. I really loved the McDonald's. People would take me there whenever I would ask for it. And so, you know, I definitely struggled with childhood obesity. I remember uh, going to the doctor one time, and it was like a big deal, you know. It was like my weight was a big deal coming from that doctor's appointment. Thank you for the water burner. And that was the first time that I think I kind of realized that, like, something was off and something was different. And that was probably, like, around the age of nine. Uh, fast forwarding a little bit, I ended up moving to Atlanta, and I got separated from my, my older brother and the rest of my family. It was just me, my mom, and my stepdad, and I had a little bit of uh, time navigating. I, I moved to a very wealthy suburb in Atlanta, and uh, my family wasn't wealthy. And um, it took a little bit of time to get adjusted. And, uh, you know, I continued to struggle with my weight. I always felt different, um, a part of, you know, like on the outside looking in. You know, but um, I did love my very wealthy friends because they had fully stocked pantries. <laughs> um, Justin and Vic and Brandon. <laughs> Man, I used to go there like every weekend, and uh, I just remember like the Rice Krispie treats and the fruit roll-ups and all the goodies. Sorry if I'm triggering anybody, but I think it's important to talk about food and the food program. But uh, I, I did the thing uh, in middle school or, or, uh, or high school where they did, like, the presidential fitness challenge or something like that. And uh, they, like, hoarded all of us outside and made us do these different exercises. And, like, 
I just remember like not being able to really like do a pull up or do any of the physical exercises and I've like had like a weird thing about working out in public since then or just working out in general and not feel, feeling like I can't really do that. And um, in my high school, the way that they set it up is that you're supposed to take this personal fitness class um, in your sophomore year. And I put it off because I was like, didn't want to do it. And then I, I was a senior and they're like, you're not going to graduate if you don't take this personal fitness class. So I took the class and I wasn't with any of my friends. You know, they, all the kids were younger. And so I just like would do the workouts and wouldn't talk to anybody. And through that and some weird diets that my mom used to put me on that included like grapefruits and bacon and stuff. Um, <laughs> Through dieting and that personal fitness class, I ended up losing a bunch of the weight, most of the weight, my senior year of high school. And I started getting a lot of attention. I got the girl. Um, my clothes looked better. But most importantly, like, it was the first time that it really sunk in that, like, people would treat me differently based on the way I look. You know, I knew I was different. I knew I wanted to look a certain way, but I didn't realize how much people would treat me differently. And um, as I transitioned to college, you know, some people, this disease, like, it doesn't allow them to achieve, you know, like with financial stuff or jobs or school stuff. For me, for whatever reason, like I had school trouble early on and then was able to overcome that in high school. And so but I ended up graduating with an academic scholarship full ride. And I, I knew I had to maintain my grades to keep that scholarship. And otherwise, the, my mom had moved back to L.A., so the only other option was to, like, come back to South Central Los Angeles after spending, you know, middle school and high school in this uh, suburb. So for whatever reason, it clicked to, like, go to class and, like, do good in school, and that worked out well. But when it came to, like, food, that didn't work out so well. And I, uh, I gained, like, the freshman 15 and uh, sophomore 30. And I don't know, I was I nearly 200 or nearly 300 pounds by the time I graduated uh, college. And I just remember being very uncomfortable and like I felt so weird that I didn't really like send my graduation pictures to anybody because I didn't like the way that I looked in my graduation pictures. But most of my college life, although I had girlfriends and stuff then and a, and a pretty decent college life, most of my college life and young adult life was spent chasing that feeling that I got in my senior year of high school. And so I would do the dieting thing, you know, and I would, I would my body reacts very quickly to food and, and to exercise and stuff like that. So I would drop like 30 pounds in like less than a month, quick. And I would inevitably, inevitably like get that back and then some. And eventually somewhere in my mid-20s, like, I just like gave up and I was like I guess I'm supposed to be this big and I started to try to think about like what how do I live life at this size and enjoy it and I was like oh if I could just find a girl that likes me at this big then I'll be cool you know I'll be it'll be all right but yeah I definitely gave up on dieting and I just got bigger and I remember one of my friends was like man you're getting big <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> um, 
But, you know, like, in that time, I had really gotten really heavy into the disease, and I had become, like, I, I wouldn't do things. Like, I didn't really celebrate my 21st birthday. Like, I really felt like I was too fat to show up for life. And that was, like, my story for the majority of my 20s. And uh, most of my life at that time was just, like, dominated by getting my, like, binge, my alcoholic foods. And I remember, like, I lived in Atlanta, and so it's, like, different out there. Places don't stay open 24 hours. But, like, I found this one Starbucks that was open 24 hours. And I would drive 20 miles in the south like in the country to get to the starbucks and stuff like that and that's just like one example but like my food was pretty much like dominate i mean my life was dominated by like what i was going to eat and when i could eat it and if for some reason like an event or something for work or something interfered with me like getting what i wanted to eat you know i i chose food i chose food over over that event or the people special in my life. You know, so, you know, you live that type of lifestyle for long enough and eventually it gets very dark and very lonely. You know, I ended up doing a geographic and moving from Atlanta back to LA. Thank God for that, because I found recovery in LA and like recovery in LA is really, really good. Um, but I had to hit a bottom and um, I was working and I just remember just, like, not being able to connect with people at work. I, like, loved this job that I had. Um, I was working down in Orange County at the time. And I just, like, had such a hard time, like, connecting with people. And we would do these, like, happy hours. And, like, I just wanted to get the hell out of there so I could go home, be by myself, eat my, my Papa John's pizza that was only, like, seven bucks Monday through Wednesday. Um... <laughs> drink my my two liter of pepsi watch my pro wrestling and follow that up with you know ice cream or frozen yogurt and a lot of marijuana and that was my life for like a very 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 long time you know basically i i, I got like emotionally inept and like uh, like spiritually bankrupt i um, I realized that, like, I, the story that I told about doing the geographic was, like, that I wanted to be closer to my family. Because I was out, at this point, I was in Atlanta, and I was the only one. All of my family is here, and it's a relatively small family. I have one aunt one uncle. And between my mom and my aunt and uncle, we, there's only five kids in my generation. So it's, like, a relatively small family. And, and they all have kids now except for me, but... I remember, like, my whole, like, reasoning for coming back to L.A. was, like, oh, I want to be close to my family. I want to be a presence in the younger kid's life. You know what I mean? My dad wasn't around, and so, like, I, and I, a lot of the kids don't have their father around. So it's, like, oh, I wanted to be that positive male influence. And, you know, I kind of realized that, like, I wasn't really showing up. You know, I would definitely choose my addiction over, like, hanging out with my nieces or spending time with my family and stuff like that. You know, it just got really, really dark, and and I hadn't really talked much about it, but, um, you know, I'm definitely cross-addicted, and um, marijuana played a big role in everything that was going on, and 
my my bright idea was to I basically got to the point where so my whole life I was like if I have enough money if I lose if I look a certain way my life would be great if I have a certain amount of money on my paycheck then my life is going to be great if I have the girl if I have the hot girl my life is going to be great and I didn't necessarily need all three I just needed one and you know, I could figure the rest out if I had the one, right? If I had the girl, then the money and the, and the look didn't matter. If I had the look, then I could get the girl. And if I had the money, then I could do both. <laughs> that, was like my, that was like my thought. Um, and what happened was I, I started to make a lot of money. I got the girl. I didn't lose the weight. But I was, like, still very, very miserable. And so what I basically did was took a hand grenade, took the pin out of the grenade, and blew up my entire life. I said, Orange County is the problem. I need to get back to L.A. (laughs) So I requested a transfer at my job. I broke up with a girl that was living with me in a not gentlemanly way. And I don't even remember... You know, like I said, marijuana was a big issue for me, so, like, it's kind of, like, hazy. You know, I think it's hazy for sometimes for us compulsive overeaters as well. But basically, I woke up out of my stupor, and I was sweating on my grandmother's plastic-covered couch in South Central Los Angeles. And that's when it hit me that, like, holy, like, something is not going right. How did I get removed from the hood? taken to the suburbs, the academic scholarship, the successful professional life, to back in South Central L.A. on that freaking couch. And it was covered in plastic, and it was hot and sweaty. And I called Loveline, and Dr. I called Dr. And I got on the line, and I, and I, and I talked to Dr. Drew. And it's a true story. I'm, my name is Sam in L.A. I actually, after I talked to them initially, I, I would call back and do the follow-ups, and they would let me back on the air. So there's like three or four, there's three or four episodes where I'm doing like my check-ins. But I, call, I called Dr. Drew, or I called Loveline, and I spoke to Dr. Drew, and I'm like, I have an issue with weed, I have an issue with sugar, I have an issue with sex, I have an issue with spending, I have issues. And I was like... <laughs> And um, I was like, well, which one do I tackle first? And he's like, you tackle all of them. He's like, it's all the same stuff. And I was like, "Mm, no. (laughs) No. Um, I was like, what do I do first? And he was like, you tackle all of them. He got, like, really annoyed with me. I don't know if you guys have ever heard Dr. Drew get upset, but he got, like, really sharp. He's like, it's all the same stuff. You got to do it all. But I was like, I can't do it all. What do I start with? And he was like, well, maybe if you quit smoking weed, then you'll stop eating the sugar. And I was like, sounds good. So I found a, a 12-step program that's geared for uh, marijuana addiction. And um, really and truly, my goal was to lose weight, right? Because if I could stop smoking weed, then I would stop having the munchies. And then maybe I wouldn't be lazy and I would work out. Uh, yeah, in that program, they told me to eat donuts and ice cream and chocolate. <laughs> uh, 
And uh, luckily, I heard a, a fellow in this program um, speak about food issues in that room. And um, what became very clear to me about two months into that program was that I was using food like I was using pot. And whatever 12-step program you're in, and if you're being compulsive in a different area, it doesn't feel good. Um, but I was very studious, and I, and I, you know, my sponsor said, well, just focus on this for now. But it kept getting bad. It kept getting bad. And then I kept saying, that, hey, I've got these other issues. I'm being compulsive in this way. And he goes, well, finally, he goes, well, focus on the thing that's going to kill you first. And meanwhile, I'm going to the doctor, and there's prediabetes, sleep apnea, you're at risk for heart disease. So it became very obvious to me that food addiction, sugar addiction, whatever was going on with the food was going to kill me. And I had shot, I gained like 30 pounds in that program. And so I came to, I came to OA and um, I started going to meetings on, in, on the Santa Monica, I think in the cottage. I don't really remember. The cottage is just such a big part of my life that whenever something monumental ha happens, like I'm like, it happened at the cottage. <laughs> I don't know if that's the case or not, but I think um, I think it was the cottage, and there was a lot of people talking about bulimia and and exercise bulimia and uh, like you know eating ten thousand calories in one meal, and I didn't relate to that stuff, but I heard enough. You know, I think like in the Friday night where they're like, are you a compulsive overeater? And those 15 questions, like I heard enough to realize that I was like in the right room. And so I stuck around, even though I didn't relate to all of the other forms of this addiction at the beginning. You know, like I'm a grazer. I'm not I'm not a 10,000 calorie in one meal person. I am a five, seven thousand calories all day, every day, year over year type of. Uh, compulsive overeater and so you guys told me to, to find a sponsor I knew that I knew my 12-step experience knew that like I, before I buy the literature and before I go crazy and before I come up with my own food plan I needed to find a sponsor so you guys told me to find uh, what I wanted somebody that had what I wanted well I was looking for a sponsor that was a man that was a hundred pounder that was black and that looked like the rock <laughs> I didn't find that guy. The closest, the closest I found was Deanna. <laughs> and uh, she was cool. And she didn't sponsor me, but she did save me from eating a double-double one night in an in-and-out drive-thru. Um, and she pointed me to um, another another man, actually in this room, and I approached that man, and he kind of blew me off that day. He was just, like, having a bad day, and, like, I got pissed at OA. I got pissed. And I spent about four months just going to meetings. I would go to Serenity Sunday, right? And I have to hear the message. There's that amazing bagel shop on Robertson. So I would go to Serenity Sunday, and I would, like, go to the bagel shop afterwards, and, um... One time I was doing that, and I saw this dude that was like 500 pounds. And I was like, man, like, I'm on my way. That's me. It's like foreshadowing. 
And so I, I kept rigorously coming back, and I eventually found a sponsor, and I, I met Jeffrey. And for the first time after hearing him speak, I realized that I wanted something more than the vanity. I wanted more than just being able to buy clothes at a normal place and to have this, like, fit body. Like, I wanted that, that serenity, that peace, that, uh, that hope, that humility. You know, I wanted all of that stuff, and I met with Jeffrey, and, you know, for the first time, and I'm like, look, I'm not a bulimic, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not this, I'm like, I just eat the wrong things. And he very lovingly looked at me and said, Rashad, you're the size that you are for a reason, it's very clear that your body's getting more food than it needs. And I went on a tear that day. I went immediately went to a bagel shop off of Wilshire. <laughs> Bagels should probably be on my red light list, <laughs> along with croissants. Um, <laughs> progress, not perfection. Um, that day is a blur, but I woke up in the drive-through of a Popeyes chicken and biscuits in South Central LA at around two in the morning. It was not a place, it was not the right place for a guy like me to be. And there were rats, um, there were homeless people, there were roaches, there were prostitutes. Shady area, wrong time of night, but I had to have those biscuits. And I waited what seemed like 45 minutes in this ghetto drive through got those biscuits. All the while I wasn't hungry, but I had to have those biscuits. I pulled over. And I ate those biscuits one by one. I think it was like four or like a half dozen. And I finally understood what, what people were talking about when they said powerlessness over food. And, uh, you know, with a head full of program and a belly full of white flour, I got it. I woke up the next day and I was struck abstinent. You know, my life is great. I'm running out of time and I do want to leave a little bit of time for questions. I wrote some notes because I tend to ramble. What I want to say about what it's like now is that I'm still a compulsive overeater. My food, isn't, my food in my life isn't perfect. This year, since I'm not doing a steep decline in the weight right now, is, um, has been a lot about uh, dealing with body obsession, which wasn't a thing. When you're losing 80 pounds in 12 months, you're not like, you're like, I'm doing good. <laughs> but when you get stagnant and all of a sudden people start saying, oh, you're at a healthy body weight, and the healthy body weight doesn't look like what you envision like. It doesn't look like the rock, you know. <laughs> you know, I had to deal with body obsession this year, and, and thanks to a, a fellow who, who really helped me understand what, that, what it was that I was doing. You know, in absence of, like, knowing the facts, I still like to create my own narrative. I saw this guy the other day that was dressed in this nice suit and like I created this magic like I like to assign magical characteristics characteristics to people and like all of a sudden I didn't say a word to this guy but he had an amazing life he had an amazing suit those shoes had to be expensive he had to have been driving a Porsche and he had at least three girlfriends <laughs> fantasy then he had like then he had some like uh, like a weird rash on his leg, and I was like, I don't want that. <laughs> uh, and then I got more appreciative of my life. Um, the nine step promises are definitely coming true. 
when I make mistakes with food or my character defects, I don't stay, my abstinence helps me not stay in that place. Um, it helps me, of course, correct. You know, if I'm taking a, if I'm using Waze and I make the wrong turn, like, I don't go back to the house. I let Waze redirect me. And, like, that's what my abstinence is today. It's not about perfectly abstaining from anything. It's about realizing that, oh, I'm getting off track here. Let me share about it in a meeting and let me get back on track. I am not pre-diabetic anymore. I'm not obese. I have a relationship with the woman. I can buy clothes at a normal store now. Um, you know, I, I have a disease. I have a disease of the mind. It centers in the mind, and you know, I don't have a magic pill. I don't have it all figured out. And to quote Casey, um, sometimes I don't realize I need the help until I'm getting the help. But my life is amazing. Um, it's funny. I have the money. <laughs> I lost the weight. And I have the hot girl. Um, but my life was great before that stuff. My life, working the 12 steps and living the principles of this program, helped me have a great life. And as I continued to do the inside job, all of those external things came together. Those things don't define and make me who I am. You know, it's my relationship with a higher power and my ability to be of service. That really defines who I am. And um, today is great. All I know is that right now, right here, the obsession with food and body is arrested in this very moment. I don't know what my dinner is going to look like tonight. But right here, right now, I'm good. And if anything does go wrong, I'm glad that there's a place that I can come to and get help. Thanks for letting me share. Yes. Thank you so much for your share. Um, can you please talk about your relationship with a higher power? <clears throat> can I please talk about my relationship with a higher power? God is my homie. <laughs> I was raised a uh, Judeo-Christian, and um, I rejected that very early on. But I always had this sense of uh, spirituality as something bigger than me. Um, but I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to, um, I didn't know how to tap into that. And I would walk around and I would say that I'm spiritual, but I really wasn't, you know, spiritually dead. What the 12 steps have done for me has given me permission to tap into that energy that I have always known is there. You know, God is my homie. And I don't subscribe to any particular religion, but I know that I am not, God for me is knowing that Rashad is not God. I can't go to the ocean and stop the waves. It was funny. I had a conversation with my brother recently, and he was, like, trying to get me to go to church with him and stuff. Well, you know, okay, whatever. I was like, I'm good. I'm spiritual. I have a God. He's like, well, what's the name of your God? <laughs> His name is God. <laughs> Any other questions? <laughs> Can I talk about my experience with people treating me differently when I lost the weight? Yeah, I thought I was that like, cool. You know, I thought I was cool, and um, 
I thought, you know, thought life was good. But mainly it was just about, like, girls, you know, the girls that rejected me suddenly, like, willing to talk to me. And then I had a girlfriend. But I also just felt more part my I my crew of guys was the player type of athlete guys, the cool kids, the cool, wealthy, fit football guys, and I just felt more a part of that group. I hope that answers the question. But now people people treat me differently because they know that something in the inside is different. You know? It's not about how I look. I have probably time for one more. Good question. I forgot to mention that. Um, thank you for that. How do I define my abstinence? My abstinence has been the same since I got abstinent. My sponsor, my awesome sponsor, would not pick an... I wanted somebody to pick my abstinence. And I, I kind of wish I was bulimic so there was like a hard line, you know. But I had to navigate it. I, this disease is not one size fits all in this program, right? There is one solution, but and there's, but there's different tools and different forms of the disease so, but it was coming to it was coming to that time where he was like, you know, you need to pick an abstinence. And so, I knew something was different that morning that I woke up after eating those biscuits. But what I that day, I think what I did was I just Googled abstinence, abstinence in OA, abstaining from compulsive overeating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight. That's my abstinence. Probably got time for one more. Thanks so much for your share. I really appreciate the support. What's your daily spiritual practice? Thank you. What's my daily spiritual practice? I wake up, and instead of opening Instagram or Facebook, I open up the For Today on my phone. I read that. I pause usually for about three minutes. I pray and I meditate. That's it, in a nutshell. Some days it's different. Today, I, I woke up at like 4 in the morning, and I realized that instead of thinking and, and overly ruminating and, and whatever, I needed to take, to take a walk. And so today, I, I woke up, I did my routine, and I went for a walk, and I got some coffee. Thank you.